That was a little late. I heard it though. <laughs> That's all good. Hey, listen, uh, I had said at the beginning of um, the Christmas season we would be departing from Exodus for a brief period of time and then we would find ourselves back in our study in the book of Exodus uh, at the beginning of the year and whatnot. And so uh, that's what we're going to do today. But uh, I do want to say something even before I get started. Ricky Lowell came into the uh, little study back there this morning and he said, Trent, have, have you made any New Year's resolutions pertaining to the length of your sermons? <laughs> and I said, yes, you know, I'm going to cut them in half. I said, they'll be no longer than an hour and a half from this point on. And so uh, I, I don't know what he was trying to accomplish or what it was, what seed he was trying to plant there, but uh, uh, it was uh, immediately rejected uh, by the Spirit. I, I, I was on the thrust of saying, get behind me, Satan. But I, I didn't do it to my brother. But uh, we are. <laughs> but we will be looking at uh, Exodus chapter 21 today. Now, listen. Um, when, when you're going through a study of Scripture, sometimes, man, you just run across some Scripture that's just hard to deal with. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's hard to manage. And we're going to be reading seven verses this morning at the beginning of chapter 21. That's just difficult, man. It's just hard stuff. And uh, you're going to read it. There's going to be some questions of why or what's really going on. Um, but we just have to deal with it. Just have to kind of manage it. Now, as we go through chapter 21, there's going to be a lot of things that we're going to deal with. Uh, and not necessarily open up and expound on. We're just going to read through it. And it's because the answer to the, the proposition or the question is in the text. So to elaborate on it anymore is just somewhat redundant. I mean, when the scripture says, if a man is thirsty, give him something to drink, we don't need to look at it and say, well, what does that mean? If a man is hungry, feed him. Well, what does that mean? What did God really mean by that? Now, there's some things in chapter 21, it's just self-explanatory, so I'm, there's just no need to do that. But there are some difficult things, and they're found uh, really in these first seven verses, some really difficult things. But we're going to have to contextualize it. I want you to understand what's happening, when it's happening, and, and the implication. Now... Not everything that we read in the birth of a nation as uh, Israel is being born uh, in this scripture is uh, necessarily transferable into our lives today by practice, but by principle. You understand what I'm saying? There are certain things that were taking place in the Old Testament in the establishment of a nation and a society that uh, the principle is at play, but the practice is just impractical, nor would it be. Uh, in today's setting, okay? I just want to preface everything I'm, I'm about to say. Now listen, chapter 20, John, we had come out of uh, the Ten Commandments. Remember, we had covered some of those commandments. Matter of fact, we covered all those commandments. And so now we're at the end of uh, chapter 20, and we're, we're opening up chapter 21, and here's the verses that we're going to be reading this morning. Enjoy this, as I have enjoyed it, preparing to share it with you. These are the laws you are to set before them. This is God speaking to Moses. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years. Man, happy new year. But in the seventh year, he shall go free without paying anything. If he comes alone, he is to go free alone. But if he has a wife when he comes, she is to go with him. 
If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the woman and her children shall belong to her master and only the man shall go free. But if the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and children and do not want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges. Some translations will say before God. And it's because these judges, judges were administering the rulings of God, so they're representing God. So that's the reason some of your translations may read like that. Some may actually read judges of God. But it says, Then his master shall, must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl. Then he will be his servant for life. Good scripture, Trent. New Year's Day. What does this have to do with me? Well, I want to explain some of this. I want to go through some of this. And I believe, I hope, I pray uh, that as we navigate this, the idea, because there's some words that are going to be uh, 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 exchanged from time to time. They're interchangeable. The term uh, servant in some translations will be rendered slave, Right? And uh, the, the notion of slavery is actually what we're dealing with here. And so what I want to do is by the time we get to these last seven verses, that the vast majority, if not every one of you, will say to me and will say more importantly to God, I'll take that slavery deal. I'll take that slavery deal. Give me that deal. I'll exchange whatever freedom I've got for the slavery that's being offered within the context of this scripture and within the context of the gospel. Because within the gospel's context of biblical bond servanthood and slavery, the ultimate sense of freedom really exists. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning, okay? Okay, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we want to navigate this scripture. We want to navigate it in a manner, Lord, that honors you, that brings forth an understanding of who you are and what it is that you're doing. And, Lord, we, we want the truth. We want it just to permeate our person, saturate us, and may it affect us and change us. Moving into this new year, may we see things differently. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray and ask these things. Amen. Amen. All right, Exodus chapter 21, verse 1. And this is what it says. These are the laws you are to set before them. Now, the scripture right here, and I need you to get this right off the bat, okay? When it says these are the laws, it's mishpat, it's a Hebrew word, and it means judgment. What God is establishing right here, right off the bat, is these are the judgments, my judgments, that I need you to set before the people. Here they are. This is my perception. This is the way I see things. And I want you to share this with the people, okay? Now, we have to understand contextually what's happening here. Remember the situation with Moses where he was basically from sunrise to sunset was judging the, the issues of the culture and the society. Remember, people were coming to Moses, and Moses, man, all day long had to judge and make judgments and decisions over trivial things, some important, some not important, but he was basically having to do that over everything. 
And that was found in Exodus chapter 18, verse 3. This is what the scripture says. The next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge, singular, for the people, and they stood around him from morning to evening. Okay? So now, in that setting, Moses is then trying to be an arbitrator and judge over the people, the issues of the people. Now, you and I both know, hey, Moses is a good dude, man. Loves God, right? A servant of God. But whenever we're making judgments within our own perception and understanding and our ability to be able to, to distinguish all the different variables, even the most wise person, even the most God-loving person, in their own judgment can make mistakes, right? That's something you need to understand right off the bat. While Moses is doing this, Jethro, his father-in-law, comes to him and he says to him, Hey, Moses, what you're doing, though it's a good thing to sit in that seat and to judge, what you're doing in the way that you're doing it, this isn't a good thing. And Jethro says in Exodus chapter 18, verses 20 and 21, he says, Teach them God's decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. Wow. And appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. So this is the setting that is taking place prior to verses 20, 21's or chapter 21's declaration of, of uh, these are the laws you are to set before the people. So what's happening here is you have Moses, if you read the, all the scripture, Moses is still judging to some degree the serious matters. The other people, multiple other judges, are judging issues of the hearts of the people throughout the culture and the society. On a daily basis. The problem at this moment is that we don't have one judge with one perspective and one perception. We have possibly hundreds of judges who are now judging and making decisions from their own wisdom because there's nothing written out to guide them to instruct them for them to reference. So you can imagine the, the, the situation uh, that could develop of, uh, of, of unfair judgments. Man, I had a nice judge. I had a hateful... My judge didn't even have his coffee this morning. And he was cranky and he dropped the hammer. You know what I'm talking You can see the influence of each person and how they might render a judgment over a case. So what God does right here, he starts to establish with the people, guidelines on how these things are going to take place. And he says to Moses, these are the laws you are to set before them. Right? So Moses is declaring God's judgments on these matters. What he is about to say is the way God sees things. Every judge is going to have to fall in line with that. So here we are, January the 1st, 2023, and one of the questions, John, that you have to answer, Trent has to answer, Otis has to answer, James, uh, Carl, Jay, one of the questions we all have to answer this morning is, who is going to have the final word on the matters of our hearts? Is it the thing that God has said, the thing that God has declared, or is it the thing that we have determined to be beneficial and good to us? We live in a culture, a, a democratic culture, a democracy, whatnot, where we all have a say in the matter. 
But when it comes to God and our relationship with God, it's not a democracy, it's a theocracy, right? And God ultimately has the final say if we're following God. And that's what Moses is establishing right here within the context of rulings is these are the, these are the things, that, these are the judgments that God has made. The life of a servant of Christ. Listen to this. The life of a servant of Christ can't be geared to pleasing men, including yourself. Right? That's just, I'm, I'm just being honest with you. I'm just being honest with you. And this is what he says at the end of that verse. He says, and you are to set these before them. These laws, set these before them. Notice that these laws are set before who when it says them? Who's he referring to? The people, the nation, everyone, the great, the small, the have-nots and the haves, the educated, the uneducated, the, the, the uh, uh, influential and those who have no influence, the great, the small. Oh, I mean literally everyone is being made, these laws are being made known to everyone. And why is that? Why is, why is it? It's so that everyone is culpable and accountable to everyone else. Meaning the least of the people of the nation, God has declared that you have access to these standards, you have access to these laws, and if these laws aren't being uh, held in, with, with great esteem and exercised and, and if they're not being played out, you have recourse, you have the knowledge, you can say this isn't what God has said, right? So everyone has skin in the game in this. God is establishing right off the bat this even playing field of knowledge of the laws and the decrees. Right? And then this is where it all starts. Now I'm going to preface this because the, the translation I'm, I'm using <clears throat> will actually use the word servant. Some of yours will say slavery. And either's fine with me, however you want to exchange that. But I do want you to understand that whenever we're dealing with these matters, we have a distorted view of how we perceive even that word. Because you and I, and rightfully so, influenced over the, 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 the course of the history of our country, have a view of what slavery looked like. And for most of us, I remember being a small child watching Alex Haley's Roots. How many of you have seen that? You remember that as a kid, you watched Alex Haley's Roots? I remember watching that at Kuta Kente. You remember him? All right. I remember watching that as a kid and was nearly in tears watching that insanity watching the heartbreak and the brutality and the neglect of human life and the, and the gift and the treasure that God had given us in people and watching that play out. And so in my mind, I begin to establish a, a definition of what slavery looked like, servanthood looked like within the context of the words of Alex Haley. Because that's what I had witnessed, heard, studied, and understood within that context, okay? Now what we're going to read about today is not that context. As a matter of fact, God had just delivered his people out of that context and to bring them into this context. It isn't to take them out of an abusive slave condition 
to that was destroying them to then lead them into a slave condition that would continue to destroy them. As a matter of fact, what's about to take place is actually an effort to rescue the poor and the impoverished within the nation of Israel. It was God's provision for the least of these in, in, in situations and circumstances that were so detrimental and so bad that they had found themselves with no other way out. For that individual, God had provided a means of recovery. And you say, well, Trent, what does that have to do with us in 2023? It has to do with you in this way. God has in 2023 also established a way and a means for recovery in your life. That is an applicable principle. He has provided that for you and for me and for Jennifer. I can go on and on for every person downstairs serving this morning. God has provided that. And so this is the scripture. Let's read this. If you buy a Hebrew servant, now the word Hebrew is actually only used roughly around 30, 32 times in the Old Testament. I think this is the second time it's used uh, at this moment. I think it's the last time it may be used in Exodus. I could be wrong, but I think maybe it is. It says, if you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years. Now, first of all, when you look at this, you're buying something that is for sale, right? So the idea or the notion in this situation is established, or at least the principle is established later in Leviticus. How then is a person in such a place that he could be sold as a Hebrew servant? How would that happen? There are there's about four or five different ways, but I'm going to read to you. I'm going to show you the, the, the most significant and the one that's in, that's in play right here, okay? And it is found in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 39. Now, I want you to hear all this because God is establishing value, value in these people. He says, if any of your fellow Israelites, Hebrews, become poor, listen, and sell themselves to you, Listen to what he says. And their reference is Egypt. Do not make them work as slaves. So all of a sudden you're seeing a distinction between what they would define as a slave out of Egypt and what serv indentured servanthood would look like within the context of, of, of Israel, this new nation. He was saying even though they have sold themselves into in this, uh, this uh, indentured servanthood, they are not to be treated or worked as a slave would be worked. Don't do to them like you had had it done to you. Principle number two. When we have lived out difficult things, had hardships in our lives, experienced all that, Daniel, why in the world? Would we levy that same type of abuse and heartache onto the lives of other people? When we live that and experience that, and then other people are subject to our decision-making and our responses, shouldn't we be a much more graceful people? He says to them, if you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years. But in the seventh year, he shall go free, right? He shall go free without paying anything. Now, I want you to understand something here. 
There is no government programs in Israel, right? There are no grants. There are no subsidies. There, there is no helping hand. There, there is none of those things at play. God is establishing grace and mercy within his own people through this measure. So this individual who, is, who has sold themselves into this state, the notion or the idea is after six years, this individual would have financially recovered enough to where he could go out on his own at that moment. Are you tracking with me? I need, you to, I need you to be with me on this. I need you to understand this. It says, but in the seventh year he shall go free without paying anything. A couple of things to note here. This indentured servanthood, it isn't permanent. God never planned for it to be permanent. He never planned that the need would require a permanency in that. Do you see this? Not only is it not permanent, God has established for these people that they would leave that condition indebted to no one. Not even the master. On any level. As a matter of fact, what the scripture says, without, he shall go free, unrestricted, without paying anything. And then the scripture says this. If he comes alone, he is to go free alone. But if he has a wife when he comes, she is to go with him. What is that saying? The man comes in with his wife, sold into this condition, indentured servanthood. Over the next six years, God has provided for him and his wife. And at this moment... He can leave, having reestablished an element of self-sufficiency within this network, the society that God has established, and it is not, he is not going to suffer loss. He comes out having lost nothing that he went in with. If he goes in with a family, he's coming out with a family. If he goes in with nothing, he's coming out with that. He, do, he isn't losing anything in this. That's a pretty good situation that I can find myself in dire circumstances and God establishes such an order where someone who has the means can allow me to indenture myself to them in a sense. They then become culpable for my well-being, allow me to work, allow me to provide if I have a wife or family for the next six years to reestablish myself. You talk, I'm telling you, when you look at this, you're, what you're seeing is God establishing a healthy nation that even the weakest, most broken can recover. Man, I, I'm, I'm thinking, man, if I'm ever in a dire situation, I'll take that. I'll take that right there. That I've got a brother, a fellow man, a fellow lover of God who will say, come on in here. And I've got you covered for this period of time that God has declared for me to cover you. That's a pretty powerful declaration. When the scripture says he is to go free alone and she is to go with him, the implication here is that the purpose for the indentured servanthood or slavery has been remedied, right? 
Because you know the little caveat here is this. He doesn't have to leave. You know that, right? That's what the scripture says. He doesn't have to leave. Meaning if the issue hasn't resolved itself, he's free to go. But he doesn't have to go. All right. And it says here, listen to this. This is some of the hard stuff, right? So when you talk to people about this verse, they say, man, God's for slavery. You say, yeah, it ain't, it ain't Alex Haley slavery. Let's redefine this. Verse 4 says this, if his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, listen to this, this sounds strong, sounds tough. The woman or children shall belong to her master and only the man shall go free. That sounds pretty stout, don't it? That sounds pretty hard. That doesn't sound like provision, does it? Well, let's look at it. God has provided for a man to come in who has nothing, poverty. Life's choices, life's conditions, whatever it is, brought him to that place. He comes into the care of God's provision through this master. The master gives him a wife by, by uh, which he, he produces children. Now the master, who is a responsible party over the servant and the wife and the children, he's the provider for all of them now. The husband who decides to leave looks at the master and the master says basically with understanding of the scripture, you need to prove yourself. You're not taking these people out. The choices that you have made, the life that you live, brought you to a place of poverty. When you read the scripture, there are methods of redemption in which the servant could redeem the wife and the children and they could be whole. But he would have to establish himself outside of the provision of the master. So you understand if you're a dad and you have children and you've got some Jake-legged cat Dude, man who's trying to take your daughter off and marry her, and I'm not shooting out at Derek. He's downstairs. Okay, he's good too, man. Great provider. But listen, if you're a dad and you've got daughters, you want to know. Hey, Jimmy Joe, you need to prove yourself. These are my responsibility. You prove yourself. You demonstrate to yourself the ability to take care of what I have given you, and you can come back and redeem them, and they're yours. That's what the scripture teaches. So the master is basically saying within this context, they're still my responsibility. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Ricky's thinking, Trent, you're already pushing. That New Year's resolution blew up. But check this out. Check this out. Man, this is powerful stuff. I don't know, man. I don't know, brother. Sometimes I read this stuff and I get giddy. I'll tell Carrie, I say, hey, Carrie, let me tell you what God's telling me. And she's like, don't talk to me about that. I won't wait till Sunday. I mean, she does that to me all the time. Jeremiah, she does. I said, hey, let me bounce this off of you. She said, you can bounce it off Sunday. I don't want to hear it. I'm like, but this is what I think God's telling me. She said, then I can wait with everyone else. I don't need that hour and a half sermon twice. I know what she's really saying. Yeah. Yeah, if I want to hear it twice, I'll podcast it. Right? But check this out. Man, this is the beauty. But if the servant declares, I love the master. 
Listen, I don't know, man. I don't know what's going on within this culture that the slaves are saying, no, 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 I love my master. You know what I'm talking about? I, no, no. There's something happening in this dynamic that's not consistent with what Alex Haley's experience or his, his, his uh, 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 heritage experience was in the slavery of the United States during that time. This is looking a lot different. When you're seeing the service, I declare, I love my master. The scripture says, check this out, please, listen. But if the servant declares, the word declares, Amar, Amar is the same word in the Hebrew that is used by God in Genesis 1 3, when God says, when the scripture says, then God said. It is a declaration with purpose and intent. It is a driven, a driven declaration, accomplishing something. And the servant must make the declaration. The master can't declare for him. The master can't, the wife can't declare for the servant. The children can't declare. No one can declare except the servant himself. If the servant declares, what's the principle here? What's the, listen, listen, man. Our relationship with God moving into 2023, you have to declare it. You have to speak it. You have to say it. You have to decide. Ronnie can't declare for Penny. Lord knows Penny can't declare for Ronnie. She's tried. <laughs> right? I can, I can go on and on with this. Amy, Jeremiah, right? Lisa, Aaron, I'll pick on all of you. Dennis, Kim, you can't declare for you. You can only declare for yourself. And it isn't just declaring. It's the motive behind declaring. Let's listen. Listen to this. But if the servant declares, I love my master. The motivation for the declaration is love. It isn't guilt. It isn't obligation. It isn't shame. It isn't past failures. It isn't the inability to see your, your, your own status of, or, or the inability to even make it on your own. It's love. It's love. It's love for the master. That is the engine that's driving this declaration. And I say to you this morning, applicable principle is love must be, Monica, your drive for your declaration for Jesus in 2023. It must be love. It can't be guilt. It can't be the sense of obligation. But love. And some of you have served God in the past, served God in, even this last year out of a sense of obligation or out of a sense of, of, of wanting to repay God, which is a ridiculous notion Some of you serve God because of the things you've done in the past. You're so shame-driven. And if, if I make this declaration, maybe some of that guilt and that shame, 
that ugly, that rest on me, will be removed. And it's just fatiguing and exhausting. But love, love will get you into the master's house. Love will get you home. Love will sustain you. Love will carry you. Love will protect you. Love will provide for you. And the scripture says, but the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and my children, and I do not want to go free. That's what I'm talking about. This old cat saying, there's something in the master's care that's a whole lot better than that freedom out there. He's literally saying, I don't want to be free like they think of free. I want to be a slave in the master's care. That master's doing something right, isn't he? The master's doing something right that he would draw, men in, draw a man in from freedom, draw him into slavery. Mm. My prayer for you guys in 2023 is that the motivation for your pursuit of Jesus is love. That you would strip off that cloak of guilt and shame and not measuring up past failures, a sense of paying things back, Ronnie, that you would strip all that off. And you would come into this new year clothed in love and say, this is going to move me moving forward, John. The love for Jesus is going to determine my decision making. It's going to determine how I interact with people. It's going to determine how I deal with that boss at work. It's going to determine how I deal with that lady at the register at Walmart. It's going to, deal, it's going to determine how I deal with that post on my Facebook page. Then the scripture says this. Now, this is kind of odd, right? My brother, John, out there, he's got some gauges. You know, it looks like maybe somebody's taking him to the doorpost and then got him with the y'all, right? So he, he could speak to this to some degree. I remember when I was a kid, I, you, know, I, you know, as they said in the play, in the housing project, you remember? Yeah, yeah, I remember, Brandon. Yeah, okay. I, I remember, uh, I, w I was cool, John. I was cool. Wearing my sister's chick hand-me-down jeans. Well, a shirt was too long. Look, shirt too long so you wouldn't see that they're girls' jeans. That's what happens when you got 13 kids and you're wearing pass-me-down. If, if it ain't your brother who's the next man up, you pull them from your sister. Going to school with your buttons on the wrong side. That's what Carrie said. <laughs> but back to God's word. Back to God's word. And, just, uh, and get out of this frivolous nonsense here. But I remember as a cool kid, chick jeans, buttons on the wrong side. I remember I was going to pierce my ear one. And uh, 
Now, it was the left ear, as you remember, back in the 80s. That meant something, right? You know, something, you know what I'm talking about. You go right ear, man. You were saying something. You go left ear, you were, hey, you were saying something else. You know what I'm talking about. Now, that's not in play anymore, I suppose. But back then, it was in play. And I remember, uh, I wasn't going to go to the mall and get my ear pierced. What kind of nonsense was that? Uh, and I remember taking them ice cubes. And I had them ice cubes. I had two ice I had that ear. Lord knows, I, I was, by the grace of God, I didn't suffer frostbite. I mean, I, I couldn't feel anything on the left side of my face. I mean, it was so cold. I mean, it was cold. And I remember taking that needle. I remember stretching that ear a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? I stretched it out. And I barely pricked it. I said, no, I ain't doing that. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. I felt that first sensation of pain, and I said, I look good without a ring. Right? I said, forget that. Now, now, this, what's happening here, there would be some pain involved in this. But this is the process that's taking place here. When the man makes this declaration out of love for my master and for my family, I don't want to leave. I don't want to be free. Then the master must take him before the judges, the judges of God or those who judge for God as a witness that this is the declaration he's making. He's coming into this situation willingly, willingly to the extent that he's willing to be marked permanently, permanently to identify his willingness for this indentured servanthood lifestyle that is now only a servanthood lifestyle, no longer indentured. It's choice. Not out of necessity, but now it's motivated by love. So this cat goes down there, he makes a declaration to the judges. The master says, this is what he desires. The man says, I desire this. And so the scripture says this. Check this out. He shall take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl. I just happen to have an awl up here. Brandon, could you come up here just for a second? No, I'm just kidding. I ain't going to do it to you, bro. I ain't going to do it to you. We're not going to do it. But the, script, the scripture says that he shall take the man to the door or the doorpost. Why is that? Why? Rhetorical. I mean, because the door is the entryway into the home. The doorpost is the entryway into the family. It was the doorpost. Remember in Exodus that the blood was to be spread and everything inside that home was protected. That doorpost represented entry into that family. What we're seeing take place in this situation, when the man takes him home, sets his ear to the doorpost or to the door, and he hits it with the all, at that moment, he becomes a permanent resident and has access, full access, into what the door provides. But it cost him at the door, you see? The door didn't come without a little blood and a little pain the experience at the door in every sense of the word this wasn't about indentured servanthood or slavery you know what this was about you know what this is if we take principle 
and apply it to this is more about adoption in this moment. The scripture says, then he will be his servant for life. And all this happens at the door. Revelations chapter 3, verse 20, very familiar scripture. Jesus speaking, he says, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, check this out, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And within the Hebrew culture, eating was an invitation, an intimacy, an invitation into intimacy amongst the family. Jesus says, I'll come and be a part of your family and you will be a part of mine. And so the man in this moment becomes more than just a servant. He bears the mark of the master. Those are familiar words if you've read in Galatians chapter 6, verse 17. The apostle Paul says, from now on let no one trouble me. For I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. He says, my love for God, my faithfulness to God has bore out on my body with scars and wounding because I'm moved to serve the master. You know what happens when the man comes into the home? He comes into the home and he's subject to the master's will and the master's purposes and the master's functions. But the master cares for him. The master provides for him. But he has to be obedient to the master. And you and I have to be obedient to Jesus. And there are times in that obedience, we too, like Paul, and will have those marks. And sometimes those marks aren't physical and visible. John, sometimes those marks are deep in here, man. Sometimes we carry those marks deep in here. We're wounded deep in here. We've been rejected by our loved ones, rejected our society, rejected by our family, our friends. And we carry that rejection of men in our hearts. Those are the marks, the wounds. But let me say this, and we're closing, and we're going to do communion, okay? I just want to read a couple of verses here, and I want you to understand this. When the scripture says, then he will be his servant for life, the implication then is the well-being of the, the servant is now the responsibility forever of the master. The master will provide food, protection, provision, resources. He now lives under the care of the master. And it's because the man was willing out of love to go under the master and to subject himself to the master's love and the master's conditions. There's a very, very misunderstood portion of scripture in Philippians, verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 19. And this is what the verse says. You'll hear this quoted out of context. And when I say this verse, you're going to say, oh yeah, I've heard every prosperity preacher in the world quote that. Philippians 4.19 says this, And my God 
will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. How many of you have heard that? We've all heard that, haven't we? That's the Apostle Paul saying this. But you know what all that is predicated on? That's true. But it's predicated on an earlier declaration found in the very first verse of chapter 1 of Philippians. You know how that opens up? What Paul establishes right off the bat? For that provision to be true and active? This is what he says in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. The word servant in the Greek, because the New Testament is in the Greek, is the word doulos. And you know what doulos means? Slave. You know what Paul's saying? Me and Timothy, slaves of Jesus. And being a slave, you can make a declaration regarding the master's good care. Later in chapter 4 and say, My God, my master will provide all of your needs according to his riches, his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He's saying it to the church in Philippi. You know why he's saying that? Because he's experienced that by being a slave to Jesus. Okay, so you come to church at the at TDC, January 1st, 2023. You'll go home and your friends, your family, your Facebook collective will talk about the messages that were preached at their church about the new year, about resolutions, about, and they're going to say, hey, what was the message about at your church? And you're going to say, that kooky preacher talked about us being slaves. And he tried to sell us a bill of goods on being a slave. And the weird thing about it was by the time I left, I think I bought it. I think I bought it. And I think in 2023, I think the thing I'm going to try to do this year is be the best slave I can be in the care of the best master. I've ever known. I've ever known. Romans chapter 6, verse 18 says this. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Oh, God. Sheila, that's what I pray. Oh, God, may this year I be a better slave, a more faithful slave. May I be willing to come under my master's heart and my master's guidance and my master's decision-making. May I be motivated by love in all that I do. So what we're going to do this morning, because it is the first... Uh, Sunday of the month, and we, we love to share this with you guys. We're going to take communion this morning. And so what I'm going to ask is Danny to come, and Miss Terry's going to come. This is a pretty simple process. 
no awe in the ear this morning. That's already been done. That pain and that price has already been paid. And we know where those holes are. So this morning we're going to take communion. And uh, you guys know how we do this. If you don't, just kind of follow suit. It's pretty simple. We're going to start from the front. Gabe's going to lead this side. We're going to work our way back, down the back, down to the middle. And this side will do the same thing. Once we get all the way to the back row, then those in the front rows will, will fall in line. Everyone will come. And if you would, please uh, get your, your elements. And I believe they're in two cups. The bread is in the bottom cup. And the, the, the wine or for some of you, the juice <laughs> is in the top cup, right? And we're going to gather, and then we're going to be seated again, and we're going to take communion with one another, okay? If this morning before taking communion, you feel in your heart you need to wrestle through some things, or maybe you need to make some declarations yourself, you need to say, you need to, speak with God, that's, that's your prerogative. You see, that's your master. And the master's ear is always open to his children. Right? So 